Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. England defence and the best John Oliver's goal for the high ball trying to knock it down for Hounsdale. Goal! Ireland have scored! Roy Houghton! Oh, Whelan! Oh, Roy Whelan has done it! Roy Whelan has scored a goal to grace any footballing occasion. We're a small country and listen, we're up against it, but let's not just go along for the sing song every now and again. Yes, indeed, we're on day one of the tournament. It's our first daily Euro 2016 Irish Times second captain's podcast. So you know I don't want to start off on a sour note, Murph. That's not your style, on. But I have grave doubts about what's going to unfold over the next four weeks. Well, I'm not so. talking about off the field or anything like that. Just the quality of the tournament because, Murph, these doubts are based entirely on the utter shitness of this year's mascot. Mm. Super Victor. He yeah. came up in yesterday's pod, if I remember correctly. A digitized image of a little boy. A very, very white boy. As Ken has mentioned, mm. you know, given all the issues yes. that France face at the moment, could I'm you maybe have gone for a cockerel rather than <laughs> an extremely pale white boy? Yeah. He's wearing a cape and kicking a football. It's not a huge amount to recommend. Him, really. There's yeah. not a lot to him, is it? Well, I, I hate to be the bearer of ba- bad news, though. Even worse news? What? There, there is an interesting backstory to Super Victor that maybe we haven't been made aware of until now. Uh, because he shares his name... Uh, with a sex toy <laughs> and uh, UEFA have been forced to comment and distance <laughs> themselves from Super Victor the giant dildo <laughs> right okay uh, uh, that's got nothing to do with uh, Super Victor the UEFA Euro what did they say how did they distance themselves we distance ourselves just to be clear our our uh, mascot is not actually a giant dildo it's a little boy all we can say is that they are not produced by UEFA <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. I mean, a simple Google would have would have sufficed. Now, obviously, I've Googled Super Victor mm-hmm. now. Just I wanted to make sure that you know we we knew what we were talking about, which should at least spruce up my uh, embedded <laughs> ads on my Facebook page. I've gone that should be fun. Yeah, I've actually gone back on my favorite Euro tournaments to see if the excitement and great play in those was linked to the quality of the mascot in any way. Germany '88. Maybe neutrals set wouldn't say Germany eighty eight was a great tournament, but of course it was for us. Oh, Van Basten, hold it. Bernie was a cartoonized German grey rabbit with the human shaped body. He wore an outfit in the colours of the German national flag. Yeah. Black, I remember do you remember him? him? Yeah. So black football jersey, UEFA across the front, red football shorts. He was often he had a big white head and wristbands. He was mostly depicted while jumping and controlling a football. I'll give you a look at him here, Murph. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I do actually remember him, yeah. He looks pretty good. Yeah, it was kind of from a panini sticker on the back of a wardrobe door in my house. I'm not so sure about Goliath, the England 96 yeah, mascot. I don't, don't remember Designed that. in a similar fashion to the original World Cup mascot from 1966 called World Cup Willie, Goliath comprised a lion, the image on the English football team's crest, dressed in an England football strip and football boots while holding a football under his right arm. So, like, sort of like a less imaginative Bernie, really. Mm. I'll see if I have... Oh, I do have Goliath here, Murph. Goliath yeah. just looks like look. Leinster fans will know Goliath. Goliath yeah. has morphed into Leo the Lion. Yeah, he's just, he's just basically doing the Lion wearing an England jersey. Not a, yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe it could be the same. Who knows? Uh, we just one more then. Belgium and ne- Netherlands, two thousand. Benelucky. Okay. Another lion, <laughs> but this one with a devil's tail and human hands. God. Yeah. What? What? Uh, what sicko drew uh, drew up such a thing? I don't know, but obviously Benelucky refers to Benelux. I thought Luxembourg are lucky to get involved in that. To be honest with you. Um, yeah, they didn't, didn't actually host any games, but anyway. They contributed the mascot, Yeah, that's one of, in ways the most important thing. One of the most striking characteristics of Benelucky was its multi... It's. It's a, either, either a him or her, surely. Anyway, it's multicolored lion's mane, which incorporated the colors of both the Belgian and Dutch national flags. I'll get Benelux for you there, for Benelucky. Ah, that, come on. It's terrible. You think that's bad? Yeah, it's terrible. 
It's really, really bad. Well, look at the lions, man. It's got all those. It's got all the colors of the different flags. Your taste in mascots is as bad as your taste in poetry, <laughs> that's, and that's saying something. Well, that's a conclusion at the end of our trawl through the <laughs> archives of mascots. Let's get over to Marseille. Are you safe and sound, first of all? There was trouble in the city last night. You were taking photographs of the trouble, well, before it happened. But. Yeah, no, no I'm, I'm good. Uh, there's no problem. Uh, you could tell something was likely to happen. Um, by, yeah, you could you could tell it. You could tell it was likely to happen. Sorry, on you, you were talking about mascots, and I have to, I have to just mention, um, you know, obviously the French have gone for a little boy that looks like um, Jan Gurkhoff. Mm. Uh, the two previous times they had tournaments, it was a cockerel, a proud French cockerel, Peno in 1984, and Footix in France 98. I mean, that is the sort of generally accepted symbol of France. You know, oh, yeah. There isn't actually a flag or Marianne. You know what I mean? Mar- mm. Marianne, the topless woman um, who you could imagine causing conniptions at the uh, sort of committee level. If she if she was uh, unveiled as a mascot, so I don't really. I mean, when when you when you've done two tournaments and they've both both times they've been a cockerel, it does look deliberate when you switch away from that. You know, I mean, I don't know why they couldn't have just done it again. Well, yeah, but I mean, a little bit of originality, I suppose, You know, you got to take that into into account as well. Maybe maybe they'd they'd feel embarrassed if you know people were. Oh, let's check out the various mascots from French football tournaments, and they're all a cockerel. I don't know. I think there's it's been very a, unima- a very, very unimaginable. There seems really. to be a, What's the problem with that. Yeah, there seems to be a downgrading in society in the standing of the great cockerel. In fact, because remember, it used to be there used to be cockerels released uh, at the Parc de Prince before mm. Five Nations games, maybe even into the Six Nations. I would say, in fact, definitely into the Six Nations. But apparently, you move to the big glitzy Stade de France, and you don't see so many cockerels being released onto the field. Would this, uh, mean, would this mean that, like, if, if Ireland ever hosts a football tournament, we're going to have some lad dressed up as a harp? Um, that does, uh, that I guess does, I, a harp is a pretty weird thing to try and incorporate into a mascot. Well, I mean, a lot of a lot of countries these days to avoid this, you know, the sort of charge which can be leveled at super victor, tend to go for some kind of a, either you know a creature or an alien. Mm. Um, Brazil went for an armadillo. Uh, South Africa for a kind of lion slash leopard. So, um, I guess in Ireland you could have a badger or a squirrel. <laughs> the um, red squirrel has it stayed in the sud. A shamrock. Before being ex- uh, uh, reg- uh, uh, rendered entirely extinct. Yeah. The best one, in my opinion, of all of them was, was Pinocchio, Italia, 1980. The weirdest thing. I mean, right in the uncanny valley there. This um, ch- ch- chilling... Uh, <laughs> chilling mascot i mean just you're looking at it and it's got a, a deeply d- unsettling effect i urge everybody to uh, to go and look at him italian 1980 mascot anyway let's yeah. talk about what's happening here in france in 2016 um you'll have seen reports today and probably seen some videos of england fans uh getting a little bit naughty um in marseille now i was walking around marseille yesterday and i kind of watched this situation developing over the day so basically it started off you know early afternoon uh, there's a pub in marseille down by the port the old port which is kind of the it's it's where you would go if you were a tourist you know what i mean it's kind of the most obvious place to start if you've just if you're just driving in marseille and there's a pub there called the queen victoria so the queen victoria was a magnet to uh, the first wave of england fans arriving and they set up a shop there with the flags uh, took off the shirts and uh, and began to make merry in the sun. Now I have to say that uh, the first time I saw a bunch of England fans like this at a tournament was probably 2002 in Japan, Korea. And since then, in the 14 years that have passed, I have to say that the musculature of the average England fan has improved immensely. Um, bicep diameter huge. Um, you know, uh, pe- pe- uh, pectorals, I imagine, chest diameter is huge. I wonder what's happened to the average uh, testicle diameter 
uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to know. But like, there's a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of hugely impressive physiques uh, swaggering around, uh, pouring beer down themselves, um, either shirts off or wearing a vest. The better to uh, show off the uh, results of all that uh, hard work in the gym. So it was a fairly typical type of scene, you know. And I left it. I came back. My my apartment is actually just like two blocks from where this uh, this was all happening, the Queen Victoria. So I was kind of passing by there a good bit during the day, so I went back and forth. So uh, uh, I noticed then, well, I can't remember exactly what time it was, but I guess probably seven, half, uh, half seven or eight, um, when I went by there that the, uh, what you call it, the Queen Victoria had cleared away all the tables from outside, all its sort of tables and chairs from outside. They cleared all that away, just leaving this empty space because they obviously wanted, they'd obviously decided that they'd done enough business throughout the day and were trying to discourage fans from standing outside the uh, place uh, and trying to get them essentially to go somewhere else uh, by making it less comfortable for them. Um, And that's when O'Malley's Pub stepped up and into the breach. O'Malley's Pub, right next door to the Queen Victoria, uh, said, well, if the Queen Victoria won't have these, uh, doesn't it appears to not want the business of these England fans, we are only too happy to step in and give them a place to continue their drinking in the sun. So essentially the entire crowd just moved up slightly uh, to this uh, Irish bar. So I went off anyway. I thought, well, okay, that's I can see, uh, I can see what's, what's happening here. Uh, I will now go uh, to the hipster quarter of Marseille and... Uh, you know, look at some street art and, you know, maybe have some uh, white fish and whatever, you know, that kind of the uh, creative quarter. It's actually called according to a sign uh, over the uh, graffiti inscribed steps that uh, takes you up there. Cour Julien, Cour Julien, if you're ever in Marseille. Nice little spot. Anyway, so having finished off in the uh, hipster area, I uh, went back towards my apartment. And at this stage, it was probably half 10, 11 o'clock. And I decided to pop by the uh, O'Malley's and see how things were developing. And (laughs) you could see then that this was probably going to, you could see probably which way it was going to go. What had happened by that stage was that a lot of England fans had gathered. It was a very, very uh, raucous and boisterous group of England fans. They were all standing outside uh, O'Malley's and they had had, Obviously, a lot to drink at that stage, and they were singing songs. Now, the thing you got to remember about England's uh, football fans on tour is they know a lot of songs, uh, and they were running through this whole repertoire. Um, the main song that they, uh, I think, the most popular song, the most popular recurring song, was "Vardy's on Fire." Uh, now you know the song. Yeah. Do you know the song? Yeah, it's a, presumably a, a take on the Will Griggs on Fire one. That's the one. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so they sing, you know, Vardy's on fire. Your defense is terrified. Vardy's on fire. Do you want to try to put this, that down? No, come on, put the, people mightn't be sure what song you're singing. Put a bit of rhythm into it there. Well, you know, Freed from Desire. Everybody knows the song. Yeah, give Freed us a little. Freed from part. Desire, mind and senses purified. Uh, well, it's uh, Vardy's on fire. Your defense is terrified. And it's, it's Will Grigg, Will, the Northern Ireland player, is the um, person about whom the song was originally created but obviously the fans have adapted it for their hero jamie vardy um and <laughs> uh, okay the song the song is great it's a great it's a great song for a bunch of the uh, pistol blads to sing the problem is that every time they get to the sort of course there's a bit that goes la 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 <laughs> you know and at that point everyone jumps up and down and starts flinging their beer you know there's just there's just beer there's like glasses of beer i mean Plastic glasses mainly, but there's no real way to tell until you see them sort of landing what kind of missile or, or vessel this is. And the, the crowd is sort of throwing the beer into itself. You know what I mean? It's sort of, uh, everyone thinks it's very funny to send beer. Like uh, The only people who don't find this funny at all are the police. The police are all standing there watching this. And it's like almost every time this chorus part of the song happens, you can see the police radio for more backup. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just the police don't like to see that kind of thing. Uh, a bunch of uh, drunk guys jumping up and down and stuff flying through the air. That that just makes them a little tense, a little antsy. And there was something about the way more and more police kept arriving 
that made you think, mm, I wonder, I wonder how this is going to turn out. I mean, it wasn't as though these England fans were doing anything uh, particularly aggressive. I mean, they weren't doing anything aggressive, really, other than singing uh, in an aggressive way. You know, if you could say, you know, we're England, we do what we want. You know, who, uh, who do you for you to the police? You know, pointing at the police and sort of jabbing your fingers and singing songs. Um, all standard enough, but you just see more and more police arriving and they're obviously all very tooled up and, you know, the police, have, I suppose, have got to justify their existence as well. So all the ingredients were clearly there for trouble, which eventually did happen. Now, I had actually left at that stage because I thought to myself, well, I could stay and see if this develops into something. But you know what? I don't really want to get my beautiful face injured by any flying glass if it does. And, you know, if it does, so be it. Uh, and if it doesn't, then all the better for that. So I left, and it seems that about half an hour later was when the kind of fighting started. Now, as regards, uh, I've seen that there were, there were some reports suggesting uh, gangs of local youths had targeted the England fans and so on. Well, they must arrive after I left because I didn't see any gangs of local youths. I did see some gangs of local youths, but they were sort of foppish types who looked like, uh, you know, extras from the talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> so I don't know if they necessarily they targeted were the England fans. Involved in a sort out. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, though, though um, you know, Matt Damon in that movie was a bit of a dark horse himself, wasn't he? You know, you, you didn't expect what He did happened. get physical, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you never expect yeah. him to get physical. But he smashed your man in the face with a an spoiler oar. alert. It's not a spoiler. It's a, ah, it's a 15-year-old ah, movie. I, you can spoil I anything saw, that's over I actually only years. saw it about three months ago. So, I mean, I, I escaped here by the skin of my teeth. He smashed he, yeah, he, he, Jude he Law in Jude the Law face. Jude Law to death with an oar, I with think, an or yeah. something like that. Yeah. It's, one of the, it's one of the most graphic scenes. It's just the way the cut opens up on the face. Oh, oh it's appalling. There's just this... It was a right good sword out. It was a right good sword out, yeah. Um... So, you know, maybe there was, there was other people who arrived and targeted the England fans. But, you know, I got the impression long before seeing any uh, groups of youths that all the ingredients were already in place for some trouble. You just got a bunch of pissed up lads and a bunch of tooled up cops. It doesn't take much, uh, you know, to, to set that little cocktail of ingredients off. Uh, and I guess that's what happened. Now, the interesting thing is going to be what happens tonight? Because you remember that's Thursday night. The game isn't actually on until tomorrow. Mm. So the vast majority of the England fans will be arriving today. And I'd say that it's another pretty hot day in Marseille today. And if I was an England fan, the very first thing I'd want to do upon arrival here and leaving my bag wherever I was leaving it would be to uh, start drinking cool, cool beer. And uh, after a few hours of that, if England fans are here in much greater numbers than they were last night, given what's already happened last night and the effect that's going to have on the attitude of the police, yeah, I mean, I, 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 all I can say is I hope uh, I hope things don't go wrong here tonight, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. You're looking forward to France's opener tonight? A lot of people tipping France up based on their ridiculously talented bunch of players from sort of midfield on. Mm. Um, well... Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see how, how France go. Um, France do have a great team. They, France do have a great collection of players, as you said, Alan. I'm not sure that any team that has Olivier Giroud as a centre-forward can really be said to be a great team. I mean, Giroud has scored, I think, five in his last four for France, which is which is good. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a decent enough player. Is he world-class centre-forward? No. Um, mind you, France won the World Cup last time without a world-class centre-forward. Um, it really depends on whether these, uh, whether this team can really hang together, uh, whether they can you know, add up to the sum of their parts. If they do, they're going to take a lot of stopping, I think. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to see how it goes. We'll check in with Northern Ireland in a bit ahead of their game against Poland this weekend. Martin O'Neill's boys have a day off today. The press conference was also cancelled, so maybe already signs of a more relaxed approach to this tournament. Dion Fanning is in for side. Dion, uh, what exactly are they recovering from? Um, maybe talking to the media yesterday. <laughs> uh, uh, I think that might might have something to do with it. They had a, they had a full mix zone and uh, O'Neill, it was kind of another bizarre day in, in, in that regard with O'Neill talking about his, revealing that his contract hadn't been signed yet and then seeming a bit, a bit tense about that whole situation before he gave a much more relaxed interview to FAI TV 
back in the team hotel where we're where we we almost received daily emails from the FAI telling us we're not allowed to go there, um, and uh, and it was you know saying oh there's nothing to worry about I haven't signed the contract but it's a done deal so that's one aspect of it that was cancelled they did train pretty hard yesterday and it was very hot so maybe O'Neill thinks uh, this this is what they need right now and you know they're 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 like. I, I wouldn't get to, I don't think missing training at this stage, I think this, the thing about, about tournaments is you, you're so, everything is intensified and you see teams training every day, which you never do normally. You wouldn't have no idea what, what, a, what a club side O'Neill would manage, would do. And you know, I, like what you do know from his, from his time at clubs is that he is, uh, he does do things on a whim. Um, and it's kind of t- entirely in keeping with that kind of approach and he might just decide not to do anything a couple of days before a game. Yeah, and I guess the big question, uh, well, we, we're assuming that Martin O'Neill offered this day off as opposed to the players having to go and ask for it. As uh, I think, as you mentioned in Cork, Dion, there's a big difference there, as Stephen Hunt pointed out in the past, whether or not you're, you're given or, or the day off or you have to actually go to your manager to ask for it. But you said there that, that we'll get onto the contract thing, but you said that you're not the journalists are told not to go to the team hotel. Yeah, well, that's kind of standard. You know, we 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 we've learned that. We we know that now. Uh, you don't go really go to the Irish team hotel, um, and there's been occasions where journalists have found themselves booked into a hotel a team might be in, and they're sort of frantically told that they might might want to stay somewhere else. Uh, but this at this for this tournament, kind of in the in the kind of media updates that we get. Uh, there's usually a, a line in bold print saying, you know, do you, you're 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 not allowed to go to the team hotel under any circumstances. <laughs> I was looking at O'Neill uh, seeming so relaxed sitting in the garden yesterday, thinking, God, it'd be much better if we did everything up there. It looks lovely. He seems in much better form <laughs> if we go up there. Under so any circumstances, up, yeah. What why if you, you just call in for a cup of tea? What I was going to say, what if you wanted to go in and spend the presumably 20 euro a cost to get a cup of coffee? Their, ho- their hotel is meant to be outstanding. Well, yeah. Well, maybe we're better off. Maybe our 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 our, um, our our companies are better off if we're not if we're not allowed in there. We've got to find a slightly uh, le- less um, expensive place to have a cup of tea. But that's they're, they're the orders, and it's the way they do things. And uh, you know, it's um, it is it is I it's kind of preposterous with the Irish day. I remember I remember being in. In, on the way back from uh, Bosnia, very back in, in, in the airport in Sarajevo, and uh, watching them come out of the VIP room there, uh, VIP lounge, and there was all this security, you know, pushing, telling people to stand back, and a bunch of, uh, you know, let's be honest, especially to a Bosnian, a, a, a Bosnian people walking through an airport, a bunch of strangers in tracksuits walked by, <laughs> you know, and Roy Keane. Um, uh, like that's who they were and the only thing that made you realise that these may be people of significance were the security guys telling you these are people of significance uh, and they, they, they have that attitude now obviously things are slightly different in this tournament with, with security and everything like that but this, that's, this attitude predates that um, and it's, it is kind of ludicrous sometimes when you think of, of, of the standing of the players and and I don't think the players would particularly mind uh, a, a bit more of a relaxed atmosphere either. Well, talk to us a bit about that team because there is a bit of. I mean, Shay Given had been, had mentioned this as being a strange feature of, of what was going on. You know, the kind of armed armed men everywhere. Um, is it a kind of overbearing presence? What what exactly is the function of those guys? How do they change? Um, for instance, how, how do they how do they make any difference to what the setup was at Euro twenty twelve? Um, there isn't any real. I, they haven't made any difference except that there, there's a presence. That's the only thing. From the minute you, I, I was walking up to the training ground yesterday for, for the first day of training, and uh, I was going to go. There was a pathway that said you could get across there, and a woman, a local woman, on her was trying to get through on her bike because this was the normal way she gets across, uh, gets across town. And that gate was now closed for the duration of Ireland's stay here. So it was closed on the twenty third of June, and. So there's a kind of a lockdown around around the training ground. There's then a lot more. When you arrived at the training ground, the first thing you saw were policemen and and, and, and guys with machine guns. Then as you went in around the uh, perimeter up in, in the woods or overlooking the uh, the training pitch, there were there were policemen with machine guns there. But they didn't. They weren't intrusive. We actually wandered. Uh, we wandered around the back of the goals. We were, the media were put down on the, on the running track, but a couple of us wandered up around the back of the goal and stood there for a while. 
and uh, nobody did anything for I'd say 15 minutes and then finally somebody came along and said we've got to either go one side or the other now you wouldn't know that wasn't particularly heavy-handed and maybe that's the kind of thing you could get uh, that could be a, a, an FAI directive it could be a security directive so there wasn't anything actually uh, restrictive about them except their presence and it was notable even then when O'Neill was talking there was a couple of security guys there, the guy with a you know earpiece and things like that that you know and they weren't the usual FAI security either. So there was, there was that presence, but nothing else that you would actually find uh restrictive. Is there any temptation to push the envelope a little bit? I saw that a very brave reporter from the Daily Mirror had managed to um climb into England's team bus and sit in the driver's seat with quite a solemn expression. Um, and the accompanying front page Daily Mirror splash was, you know, anyone could have could have put a bomb on this bus, um, this massive security breach. And has there been any attempt to uh, to test um, test whether the, the security is in is in any way permeable? Uh, I I don't think so. Paul Rowan of the Sunday Times arrived on a bicycle. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that was uh, that, but that seemed to go. That was that was that was okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, I don't think uh, there. No, there hasn't been any, anything like that. Hasn't been anything like we're kept well away from. I, it's quite hard to get on. Get on the. Uh, quite hard to kind of attempt to to uh, to get on, get on the Irish team boss anyway, um, just because you're a journalist. So um, there hasn't been anyone anyone trying to do that. Uh, but before that, you know, the day before the ground was open and it was you could walk in, and walk out of it. So I suppose it's going to be a presence. But you know whether. Uh, and I think a lot of these things are to show that this, these things are being taken seriously. Dion, the, you, you said about Martin O'Neill's uh, the stuff about his contract yesterday, the handshake, uh, that which apparently is all that has been. Um, I mean, that's all that's been agreed so far. It's only been agreed via handshake. You said he did seem a little bit tense about that when he was discussing it. It seemed like he was the one who brought it up, though. When I mean, the contract was brought up with him, and and then he said, "Oh yeah, but that's it's just a handshake at the moment." Is that right? Well, yeah. Like everything kind of was was sort of altered by the later uh, happy happy report from the team hotel when he seems when O'Neill said it was a done deal and he he'd shaken hands as he had two and a half years ago he only shook hands initially on the deal and signed a contract six or seven weeks later so there was no change then or there's no change to how his, his behavior then but in the morning uh, and you know he wasn't uncharacteristically. Tetchy because he's he's very often he's very, he's not very often tetchy with the Irish media O'Neill, um, and uh, he he was asked about his contract. It was the first time people had seen him since the contract, and he brought this up and said, and uh, you know people who know him quite well were were, were uh, and have been watching him for a long time were slightly kind of curious about about this and and his the words he used like John Delaney wanted me to do this and I'm happy to do it. And it didn't sound like a man uh, massively um, uh, enthusiastic about about what he had done, and it was kind of like this was a kind of a, a good gesture to do at this point, and it kind of went contrary to everything that had been said in in the lead up, where it was like, well, we might as well wait till the end of the Euros, which I actually thought was was completely fine. I thought, why not wait till the end of the Euros? We can handle it, uh, and. Um, but this was the, he was saying this was the, what, what the FAI wanted, and he was happy to go along with it. This is this is really weird, Dion. So I don't I don't get what's going on here. Why would why would I, he announce he he he'd signed a contract when he hasn't signed a contract? It's the same the same thing uh, apparently <clears throat> goes for Roy Keane. I just don't understand the point of saying it when it hasn't been done. I mean, and and in terms of what you're saying about his, <clears throat> you know, the this is what the FAI want me to do. That that also sounds a little bit strange, although within the but in the range of possible, you know, things Martin O'Neill could say, you know, sometimes he he does put things slightly slightly strangely. Um, but but I, I don't really understand why they would sort of say something had happened when it hadn't happened. What's the point of doing that? Um, I I can only imagine that the reason they wanted to do it at that stage was to give her sort of. Uh, you know, an added sort of feel-good factor to the to the departure of the team. And was there not enough of a feel-good factor? I would have thought it was fine. I think, but this was like this. Here is maybe maybe after the 
the the you know the, the kind of the uh, the week of um, bad headlines with mm. Keith and, and O'Neill's uh, comments at, at the mm-hmm. Opera House. They thought this is uh, this is the boost we need going into the into the Euros, but uh, it seemed a little a little strange. And as I say, I think most people had kind of accepted um, the idea that they would wait until after the European Championship, which I think is a perfectly normal thing to do. I think absolutely. I mean, every time or not every time. But we, we, we do know from across a range of sports that giving a coach uh, a big new contract just before uh, the tournament that's going to decide whether anyone wants him uh, to fulfill that contract is often quite a bad move. Yeah, I don't, I think it was, and it, it's how many, it's a ter- perfectly normal uh, time for a contract to end and then to be considered renewing it afterwards, depending on, on how a team does. It does, it, it seems unnecessary. Um uh, it's a done deal, you know. As, as Martin O'Neill said, uh, he he has he shook hands with John Delaney, and he has implicit trust in him. And there's no question that that that's good enough. Um, if Ireland lost every game, um, what would happen then? Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, well, we know what happened. It'd be a disaster. Although at least nobody signed a contract, so it doesn't matter. Um, are you surprised uh, that Roy Keane also has not signed a contract, but has agreed to? Sign one uh, in terms of did you expect before that announcement was made that he would want to continue in a job which I mean after all you know he does seem to enjoy the job uh, and it has been reasonably successful so far but he has talked whenever he's been asked about his desire to go back into full-time management yeah but where where are the offers I think that might be I I, I don't know uh, who was I think even even when O'Neill was, was talking about how he'd be the perfect fit for Celtic a few weeks ago, he did actually go on to say that there hasn't actually been any contact yet. And uh, and then you see uh, uh, Roy's comments about what, what, what the kind of coaches that American owners are looking for these days, you know, with, with uh, you know, good white teeth and, uh, and that kind of stuff, suggests that he, you know, as a young man, as a man who's kind of, you know, is a young manager, essentially, for for Roy to be sort of portraying himself as a, a sort of a gnarled, gnarled old school veteran seems a bit kind of crazy. <laughs> like he could he could adapt it a bit more to uh, to maybe to the requirements of uh, of the modern game because they're not really going to adapt to him at the level that he he probably would like to be working at. So um, uh, I don't know what offers are there or whether they think if they get a good Euros and then go into the World Cup, maybe something will come along again. But there hasn't been an awful lot of talk about. Uh, about Keane and, and club management. Dion, Johnny Walters seems to be the big question mark at the moment. Was he moving well enough in his sort of solo training session yesterday to convince you that he, he might be okay? Yeah, he seemed to look okay. And then as he was leaving, he he just said, all's good. He gave a kind of smile as he went went by and didn't look uh, too downbeat at, at, at that stage. And O'Neill said, said it was positive. Shea Given said it was positive. So uh, I think... Think he'll be okay. Again, it's it's one of those things where, you know, if if a player did miss training on the Tuesday before a Saturday game for their club, nobody would be thinking. Uh, I know he hasn't trained for a week, but you wouldn't be at that stage thinking he's he's going to miss out on Saturday. So I think if well, they're not training today now, but I think if uh, he does something over the next couple of days, he should be okay. All right, sounds good, Dion. Enjoy the recovery day. Thanks, Mill. Thanks, guys. It doesn't exactly sound like there's a Euro 88 style mingling between players and fans <laughs> at this tournament. Probably for any team, but uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't really... Well, we don't know. We don't know what the fa- players are going to get up to today. Maybe they will have a bit of time and enough security, enough space free of security, can to shake some hands and pose with some selfies. I'm sure they will. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see why not. I mean, I've, I suppose I've, I'll be going to see the... Uh, a bit of the England training later on, mm-hmm. um, and we'll see what the uh, security setup is like then. As, as of yet, I haven't actually seen any of that, so I don't know how overbearing it is or, or how different it is from previous tournaments. But I, you know, I mean, I can sort of understand if that's if that's the case. It's a kind of a weird atmosphere that this tournament is happening in so far. You know, people people haven't really uh, got used to it yet. Or uh, this hasn't sort of become normal yet, so we wait and see how things are after a couple of days. You seem a little bit put out at this new contract for O'Neill and Keane. Well, I just find the whole thing a bit strange, don't you? I mean, well, you know, 
announce they've signed a contract and then oh, it turns out they haven't actually signed a contract. Well, what's changed? I mean, you know, it's 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 sort of like, oh. It seems kind of know. bungled, doesn't it? It's it mean, backfired a bit, maybe. Yeah, but it depends, I suppose, what they were really going for. I mean, uh, you know, what was what was the intention of, of putting it out? I mean, the fact is, the story, the story actually is Martin O'Neill still hasn't signed a contract. And I mean, although they've agreed in principle, obviously without a contract, that agreement is quite an easy one to to change, isn't it? You know, I mean, the, the point of a, of a binding legal contract is that, you know, you can't back out of it or, you know, it's a, there's a cost of backing out of it, whereas a handshake, you know, can be can be backed out of. Not that I'm suggesting that's necessarily going to happen. I just wonder why you would, why you would um, put it out there, if, you know, initially give people the impression that, that the contract had been signed when, in fact, nothing has been signed. Hit it. I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just wow. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody f***ing with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. Our very first Euro 2016 scumbag is Gareth McLaurin, who has weighed into our stormy debate yesterday over UEFA's all-time dream team. Uh, how, how big a storm are we talking here, on? Two emails. Okay, fair enough. One of them, Gareth. <laughs> the other one, obviously, ter- utterly terrible. <laughs> well, Gareth put a lot of thought into this. So UEFA, there was UEFA, uh, their official Twitter account, asked people to vote for their greatest ever Euro Championships players, and they came up with Buffon and goal, Maldini and Lam at fullbacks, uh, Puyol, Beckenbauer in the centre defence, Pirlo, Zidane, Iniesta in midfield, Henri Van Basten, Ronaldo up front, Cristiano Ronaldo. Only Van Basten survived in Ken's alternative 11, but Gareth writes, uh, yeah, it is Gareth, yeah. Uh, I want to take an alternative view on the Euros. My all-time team is a collection of players who for various reasons were cruelly denied making an impact on a specific Euro finals, be it through injury, bad luck, or even in cases where their country did the business in their absence, despite that player's undoubted ability. <laughs> so I told you, if some thought has gone into this. Okay. Okay, no, oh, no, I should be more enthusiastic. Gian- Gianluigi Buffon in goal, injured for Euro 2000. That's the justification here. Okay. Graham Lasso, left back, injured for Euro 2000, replaced by Phil Neville. We all know what happened next. Okay. Nikos Dabizas, missed Greece's Euro 2004 campaign. Chiro Ferrara, Ken, is also in here at centre-back. Only ever played one Euros game, apparently, Chiro Ferrara. Did he get injured in 96? Yeah, um, he was certainly out of favour at that stage, if not injured. Willie Sagnol never appeared in the Euros. Uh, Liam Brady is a good one. Okay. Now, Liam yeah. Brady and uh, this next one. Oh, no, can I just say, this is one to get better fast. Zvon- right? I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not buying Oh, you wanted to get political, do you? Zvonimir, stop looking at my screen. Zvonimir Boban. Obviously, yeah. Yugoslavia are stripped of their place in Euro 92. I think Boban yeah. might have had some issues playing in that tournament. Regardless. Regardless at that stage, but he yep. couldn't. Michael Laudrup quit before Denmark won Euro 92. Okay. Okay. David Healy. As a Northern Ireland fan, Gareth says, please let me have this one. Top scorer in Euro 2008 qualifying, but not enough to get his country through. Darko Panchev, Ken. Darko Panchev missed Euro 92 also because uh, of the Yugoslavia issue and never actually played in any finals tournament. And one last one up front, Norman Whiteside. Apparently scored the goal to beat Germany in qualifying for Euro 84, but Northern Ireland were cruelly denied qualification after slip-ups against Turkey and indeed Austria. Well, we'll never forget it, Owen. So you happy enough with, <laughs> with Gareth? Uh, listen, Gareth, fine. Too no, it. it's fine. Uh, just, you know, pick a team. You know, l- let's not <laughs> overthink this. You know, I want to have an argument over whether Marco Van Basten is a better player than, you know, uh, Roberto Baggio. I don't really want to hear about... Players who miss tournaments. <laughs> Darko Pache. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, try- I'm trying to get into, like... You know, into Euros. Vo- uh, actually, I don't need to try. I'm, I'm, I'm already You're there. already there. Forgive me, Gareth. Murph has poo-pooed your team here, but you'd be you're glad to know. You're a real scumbag, Gareth. You're about to. You're be glad to know we're about to talk about Northern Ireland now because while the Republic of Ireland are enjoying the opulence surrounds of Versailles, Martin O'Neill and the guys are doing their last-minute prep in wine country north of Leon. Michael Walker is covering their tournament for the Irish Times. Nice part of the country, Michael. Yeah, it looks very nice, uh, and it's the weather's been great, so. Um it's a good setup we've got here. Uh, Michael O'Neill came out and checked it himself and uh, seemed to be very happy. They've got a, a sort of municipal training base with a decent pitch and uh, they are staying at a chateau hotel nearby, um, which is which is not accessible for us and it's under very heavy security. Um, but they managed to get a day. They gave Michael O'Neill gave the squad a day off yesterday, and uh, they got out to a local town. But other than that, it's been you know sort of head down, focused on 
Poland. Yeah, it seems to be the same with the the base in Versailles. The journalists are told to just stay away and and you know do the do whatever um, media stuff has to be done elsewhere. But you said they did have their day off. Is there much support from? Is there much interaction with the the locals? Is there support going on there? Yeah, there is a bit in the in the streets, you know, around. You know, there's posters and there's you know there's a. Uh, like uh, red hand of Ulster flags up around from the local um, the local like mayor or whatever. Which, really? Um, I, I'd say the post office, yeah, which is quite amusing, uh, just around the corner from here. Um, maybe they're getting ready for the twelfth, you know. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, but the yeah, no, the the, the locals there has been some interaction, but it has been limited because of the security concerns. Definitely, so there, there isn't that kind of free, freedom that yeah. I think the players, you know, that you, there isn't, there just isn't the freedom that would have been in a previous tournament. Are there many fans around there? The, the game, the first game, is in Nice on Sunday. Are there many fans around where you are? Well, no, there's, there are not many in Lyon. Um, although I did, see, I have seen a few. Um, I flew over from Dublin. There were a few on that flight from Dublin to Lyon. Um, and but I think that you know the bulk of them will be in you know heading to Nice, and over the course of the three games, there are expected to be fifteen thousand Northern Ireland fans. You know whether that's you know in total or whether you know it's sort of repeat you know tickets sales or whatever. So there's you know it's it's definitely quite a big following, and um, and I think. There's a degree of optimism, but there's also that awareness that they're just, you know, happy to be here, and and that the one thing that my sort of overriding concern would be for for Michael O'Neill and the squad would be that people forget the achievement of simply being here. Mm. That's an achievement in itself. Yeah, and especially um, given how how tough they, the group know, is as well. I mean, that that's a bit of a nightmarish group to get drawn into. Oh, it's it's really tough. I mean, there is this sort of scenario being talked about by fans and by some journalists, you know, and I don't know whether it's within the squad that, you know, no one can get a draw against Poland as if that's some kind of formality and then beat Ukraine as if that's... You know, <laughs> this is exactly the same as Republic of Ireland in 2012. Yeah, it's, it's we, we go, we beat Croatia to start with and then we get our draw against Spain uh, and then we'll see what happens against Italy. <laughs> yes, indeed. So there's, there's, there's that kind of thing, uh, you know, that theorising going on, which neglects Robert Lewandowski in my opinion. <laughs> you know, a player like him can just change can change everything. And I don't think Ukraine are, you know, a superb team, but they're still a they're still a decent team and quite a lot of uh, quite a few of those Ukrainian players would expect to be in the Northern Ireland team. So I just think that people need to recall that you know where these players are coming from and the the, the level of they're playing at a you know at their clubs and sort of understand again, just understand the achievement of being here. That does sound a bit like Roy Hudson playing things down, but <laughs> I, I just I, I just think if if things were to go wrong then people might forget that and I don't think that would be fair on the players or Michael O'Neill. A lot's gonna depend on Kyle Lafferty, seven goals in qualifying. He's been a bit of an injury doubt, but he seem he seems to be okay. I know you're you're at training today. Yeah, the, the training's finished, and he did take part in it from you know from what we saw. But I mean, he he hasn't played it. He just simply hasn't played enough games this season. Uh, you know, he's, he's he's barely featured for Norwich. Played a few games for Birmingham City on loan at the end. Um, now, Michael O'Neill sent over his fitness man to Glasgow to, to give him a week of intense training at Motherwell, um, and so he's had that sort of personal fitness. But I don't. He pulled up the other day with a you know a little groin strain, and I don't, I'm not sure if Michael O'Neill will risk him tomorrow. And the thing is, he's going to be playing up front on his own against Poland in a KG opener. What he, he, Michael O'Neill has to sort of assess the value of risking him whenever you could. You know, he 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 isn't going to get lots of chances uh, in that game. We wouldn't expect. Um, so you could actually go with Connor Washington, you know, or you could just give. Lafferty 45 minutes. I mean, at the most, I would expect him to play an hour. Um, so I think he would be replaced anyway, you know, given his fitness and given the heat and humidity. And so one of those, you know, Will Gregg or um, Connor Washington would come on anyway. So I, I, it's just part of me thinks that he might, that Michael O'Neill might go with Connor Washington just for the, 
just for his mobility and fitness, really. You had a nice piece with... Um, and then try, uh, to try and save Lafferty then, you know. So. You had a nice piece with Niall McGinn today. He was talking about the support he's getting from home, from his old GA club and all the rest of it. He, apparently he got the hard sell from Mickey Hart a few years back when he had to decide between Gaelic football and soccer. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting just talking to him yesterday. And, the, you know, I think the players are the players are very wary of being drawn into that kind of cultural discussion and sort of political, you know, with a small P that then, you know, obviously given it's Northern Ireland, you know, then moves into, can easily move into religion and the past and all of that. And they're, they're wary about that kind of thing. But, you know, even even the fact that, you know, Nam again is prepared to have a conversation about that kind of, you know, the, the you know, his cultural background and things, I, I think is a sign of a small shift in the times, you know, in the north, and then you know you can you can sort of take from that what you want, how significant that is or insignificant that is. You know, mm. um, I'm just standing outside the the press room here where they've got you know uh, players from a picture of each of the players from the six counties, and you know, and of course, whenever it comes to Derry Stroke London Derry, they have to put Derry Stroke London Derry still. <laughs> Even out here in France for Shane Ferguson, you know, so it's still, it's still there, you know. So I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to go overboard about that, but it, you know, I, I think there, I think there are small shifts. Let's yeah. Say. All right, good to hear. Listen, I'm sure you'll enjoy the tournament, Michael. We'll catch up with you next week. Thanks a million. Yes, I'll speak to you. I'll speak to you then. Okay. Bye. That's one of those things. It's one of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. Second chance. No, he did. No, he did. Do you think Robbie Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. He's got more of a tan than me. Some nice quotes from McGain Murphy says, when I was coming to the decision between Tyrone... I mentioned the, sorry, I'm, I'm cutting into the quote that I'm reading out here, which isn't really best practice, but I did, this is me talking now, I'm not quoting now again, okay? I'm talking now. Okay. Uh, I mentioned Mickey Hart there, kind of strong-arming him a little bit. He yeah. was really giving him the hard sell. So this is back to the quote. I'm going to start the quote again. When I was coming to the decision between Tyrone Seniors and Derry City, Mickey Hart was constantly phoning me to play for Tyrone. It was the opening of the lights in Croke Park. Tyrone played Dublin. At the end of most of the conversations, he was saying, just remember here, you have a chance to play in front of 80,000 people. So it wasn't one of these. Oh, would you like to play for us? We think you'd be good. It was. It was the, the full on. No, it's a hard. It's the full it's on hard sell, sell. But eventually, he said, "No, I'm going to play for Derry City," and it's worked out pretty well for him. So yeah, he's good. done all right. Uh, and I did check up to see uh, what Dunamore GA Club had uh, had said to Niall. And uh, yeah, right as rain. Uh, he they did tweet him uh, yesterday. Best of luck in the Euro Championship from all the players and supporters of Dunamore GA Club. We'll all be supporting you. The, that you at the end could be construed as either the singular. Or the plural, uh, they haven't specified. So there you go. Ken, would you like to indulge in some pointless predictions? Just so we can hold you to them if you get them all horribly wrong during the tournament? Um, what do you want me to break down? Well, winner, I suppose, who's going to win the tournament would be a good way to start. Who's going to win this tournament? Mm-hmm. I thought that would be the easy one. <laughs> I thought that would be the easy one. They get progressively well, Look, I didn't ask you for who's going to be the, stand, the standout player from the Albanian team. Um, it's hard. It's so hard. Um, Spain. Well, Spain. Uh, I yeah. mean, it's Spain, Germany, and France are the kind of the three big teams. Yeah, but Spain aren't even among the top, uh, the three favorites, as far as I know. They say everyone's writing are them off. Not? No, they're, they're supposed to because they don't have a some amazing world class super striker. They're meant to be. Uh, they're not really being written up much at all. And didn't they have that? Who did they lose to recently in a friendly? Anyway, they're uh, they seem to. Not be getting as much love. France, almost everyone I I'm, I seem to be reading or hearing from seems to think France are going to do it. France have got a great collection of players and they're playing at home and they've won the two previous tournaments that they hosted. Uh, Germany are the world champions. I don't really fancy them, though. No? Um, I'll go with a new winner. Yeah. Um, One of the Ireland's? I don't know. 
I, I find it impossible. Okay, I'll say uh, Croatia. Croatia, okay. <laughs> You're liking the Rakitic, Modric, little midfield axis there. Like a top score? Oh, um, I'll go with Lewandowski. Lewandowski, he's going to fill his boots in the group stage. And well, he's there. the best striker in the tournament, so yep. let's hope he can score a goal or two. I was going to ask for a dark horse, but I guess Croatia are your dark horse. It's the same answer. Yeah, m- maybe instead ask for... Spain. Spain, Spain are your dark Spain horse. Your dark Spain would be my dark horse. Your ones to watch. How Nobody's far- talking about them. How far will Ireland go? Group stage exit. Ah, come on. Ken. Come on, now. Just, come on have, now. just have some sort of consideration for the mood of the nation uh, as we woke up this morning. Rubbed the sleep from our eyes and said, it's here. It's finally here. Just yeah, think about here. all the... Yeah. Um, it's here, and, and I think this is as far as we, as far as we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, narrow it down. Are we going to finish bottom of the group, or will we be one of the second, one of the two worst third-place finishers? At least give us that. I think we could be either one of those. Oh, God. Either one of those. I mean, uh, that's just... I'm sorry, Owen. I'm no, sorry. No, no, no. You're, 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 you're a journalist, first and foremost, Ken. Ireland fan, second. How many goals will Ireland score, given what you've just said there and our dismal average? What's our average overall, Mark? Uh, two goals. Not, not I point, two, not uh, point five, two goals. 0.5 goals a tournament. Okay, so our average is 0.5 goals per game. It's per game. In our tournament so in far. We've played six games. We've scored three goals. Scored three goals. And you're, you're saying we're going to score two, Ken. So we're going to improve on our average. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I feel, I feel we, we've got a, a good chance of scoring two goals in this tournament. Who will go- <laughs> okay, who will the goal scorers be, lastly? I'll go with... Um, we'll want Shane- minutes, minutes and opposition as well. I'll go with Shane Long and Robert Brady. Oh, I thought, Ro- I thought Robert Keane was going to have a glorious swan song in our consolation, yeah, Dead Rubber. Oh, it'd be great. It'd be great if Robbie Keane scored right. a goal. I'd like, I'd, I would really like that, but... Um, I'll go with those two. I hope two. you're wrong on one or two of those predictions. Uh, we're going to be back on Monday after the opening weekend and ahead of Ireland-Sweden, so we'll have a show out for you early on Monday. Uh, thanks very much, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks a million, Ken. Thank you, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thanks so much for listening. Everyone's looking forward to it. Enjoy the weekend, folks. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.